Oh, there, there we go. go. But, I mean, by the way, the Uber conference voice. We Kevin and I were just saying that. Very yeah. sensuous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she wants a piece, I think. Well, and, yeah, might want the whole thing. Uh, it she is. Does. Yeah. It's like this is something about provided for free by Uber Conference. (laughs) It's like, is it free? I feel like I'm going to be charged for this. (laughs) I mean, in in these in these times where I'm where I'm isolated uh, in so much as I'm living with my parents, I can't handle the sexiness of the Uber Conference lady right now. I'm I'm, I'm backed up over here. Uh I've got nowhere to put any of these boners. These are having no effect on me, guys. I don't know what your problem is. Ken has found the the antidote, the vaccine, uh, to the <laughs> to Uber, work around. Yes, to the Uber sexy lady. Um, is th- is this like connected to Uber the car? I was wondering it, that. It says by dial pad, which I can't. That's not a car. I don't. Yeah, and the the U in their logo does not look like the Uber U. So yeah, you would assume Uber would have a problem with this, though, right? If if yeah, uh, it wasn't connected to them in some way. Well, I right? mean, it's all a matter of whether or not they use the umlaut, and I don't think they're using yeah. the umlaut, so they're in the clear. There we go. That's, yeah. German right. exception, yes. <laughs> yes. But at some point, we're all going to realize that really all along we should have been pronouncing it Uber. <laughs> uh, Uber. Yeah, Uber. yeah that's, that's proper. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... So I guess this may be a crossover app of sorts, but it, do you want to, since it's like, do you, do you want to yeah. kick it off, Ken? Like, like should we just okay. do it as as Ken's podcast, I think? And then if we... Sure. We can kind of do like a that, or we can do like a, you know, both of us do our intros, and you know what I mean? Like, Ken can kick it off as his podcast, and then we jump yeah. in, and it's like, oh, but it's also this. Sure. Cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah, we can try that. Uh, usually, I uh, talk the way into it too. So I guess we'll just kind of start as if we did. Yeah, uh, start as if we I, talked. Yeah, I mean, we could we could even start with as soon as it started recording. We could yeah. talk about Uber Conference on this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> That's what everybody tunes into a baseball podcast for, right? Is uh-huh. uh, semantic I mean, discussion. It's not, not, not going to be for baseball. Yeah, yeah, God, really. Uh, so yeah, okay. Uh, hey. All right, so we're starting an actual podcast right now. Yeah. Uh, this is this is a dual simultaneous podcast uh, of the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, episode number twenty, the Frank Robinson episode, Ooh. the Outsports Podcast Network's baseball podcast. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports Baseball Prospectus and Cubs Den, and it turns out this is also. It's Away Games, the Chicago Cubs podcast with uh, Kevin, who is me, Kevin McCaffrey, and uh, Adam Mamawala, who's over there. Yeah, here I am. I believe this will be for us, episode 109, which I assume is the number of someone in spring training. <laughs> yes. 109. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's short episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, our, the, the episode 109 for us, it's not going to make it to the regular season. It's uh, it's going to be let go <laughs> a little a little before that. But, you know, it's got, it got on a, it got on the field. It, it well, that, ma- that makes sense because it, it seems to me that we are very much in what I would call the irregular season. Yes. Yeah. This is, are any of us going to make it to the regular season at this point? 
Oh, no, I can't imagine. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> bleak, bleak, but a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Uh, so you've tuned into the Friedrich Nietzsche Existential <laughs> Void podcast as well. We'll just throw that out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, sponsored by Being and Nothingness and all the Zarathustra. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> sponsored by the actual Adam and Eve, uh, going back to the beginning, <laughs> not the not you the know, sex Ke- toy thing. Ken, Ke- uh, Kevin and I actually had a side bet of uh, over under 10 minutes before you made a Friedrich Nietzsche reference. And, uh, <laughs> Adam wins this time. I won. Hey, uh, Mama Walla. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so I guess we're starting this. Uh, we're still in the middle of kind of the hollow void of spring training suspended don't know when any baseball stuff is going on and uh honestly i just kind of missed you guys so i just wanted to talk uh for a little while and if if this so happens to be about baseball so much the better right yeah i'm all for it and to be clear for anybody listening we are in fact not in the same place no no i am in chicago you are i am Uh, in new jersey at my parents house and and kevin is in the is in new york I know I'm seeing the we're, uh, yeah we're doing this podcast via uh like you know one of the I feel like the the video chat rooms are really getting more of a workout than usual over the past week or so so oh, we're yeah. doing one one of those and we see the locations under each each of our names so Branchburg New Jersey where Adam's I'm in from. I'm in Hillsboro I guess that's that's where my hmm. computer thinks I'm located it's all it's all the oh, same shit. the same area yeah. but okay you know gotcha yeah um yeah and I'm in uh, I'm in Queens where I will. I'm retired now. That's one thing is that. What's that? Uh, the, the, the sound broke up on my end. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. No, the sound. Uh, yeah, we, we was having trouble hearing you for a second, too. Maybe the maybe this ch- chat room is retiring, too. But Adam and uh, yeah, <laughs> like all three of us met from being stand up comics. And now that industry doesn't exist. So basically, point is, we have plenty of time to come here and uh, and talk baseball or otherwise. And we went back because although there's no new baseball right now, there's turns out there's a lot of old baseball. Yeah. Like a lot. Lots of it. More than just about any other sport, it turns out, when you have 162 games mm-hmm. a year times 130-odd years. Uh, so mm-hmm. we, we debated going back to, you know, the Cap Anson era, but because none of us are racist, <laughs> we didn't really want to watch that. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I proposed... What, what, what a Twitter follow he would be. <laughs> oh, God. Like, he'd be fucking president right now. He honestly. would be He would be Aubrey <laughs> Huff, with who he would be. Yeah. Yes. Oh, That's, God. That, good job. Aubrey That's a Hall. good baseball and racism comp. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go if if we went to racism reference page, like they would be like the, the first thing <laughs> mentioned? Yeah, RAR racism above replacement, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Very curious that name. Um, yeah, so so we did not go to Camp Anson. We went just a few years ago. Isn't that right, Ken? Yes, uh, I, I proposed the proposition of, hey, let's pick a Cubs baseball game that ends happily, and why not go to the Cubs winning the pennant in 2016, which it turns out, by the way, especially how your podcast is scheduled, this is going to be perfect because uh, Marquee Sports Network has been airing the road to the 2016 World Series over the past few days, and I believe tonight they are airing Game 6 of the 2016 NLCS. So, hey, what better time to talk about it, right? That's oh, great. Yeah. That and uh it's it's a nice in a, in a very bleak time otherwise. It's a really nice game to go back to because 
obviously winning the world, we're all Cubs fans, winning, watching the Cubs win the World Series was fantastic, irreplaceable, whatever. But the, I don't know if I've ever been specifically just purely joyful like I was after game six of the NLC. That might have been the like most purely uncomplicated happy I've felt after a sporting event. I remember specifically in the moment right after the double play, uh, jumping up and down off my couch and then turning, looking my roommate in the face and at the top of my voice yelling, hug me. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the most physically aggressive Ken has ever been. (laughs) Yes. And and my physical aggression, the the worst it gets still ends in a hug. So yeah, (laughs) if that that defines me, I'm willing to take it. Absolutely. Yeah. It was cool. I had never watched it um, with the audio in the sense that I, like I watched that game in a bar. So I I hadn't really heard much of what Buck and uh, Smoltz were saying during the game. So it was cool to, to go back and watch it, especially like um, I was taking notes as I was watching it last night and thoroughly enjoying it. But there's a moment early on in the game where Smoltz, um, in in uh, reference to Hendricks goes like, you know, he's a good pitcher, but he's no Kershaw. And we're not talking about a guy who's going to go more than five innings here, probably. Yeah, I, I yeah. wrote that down as well. At, uh, Clayton Kershaw, he'll be thinking seven, eight innings. His counterparts only thinking five. Uh, and yeah, I think the exact quote was, here. he's not Clayton Kershaw. He knows he's not going seven. Yeah. And if if <laughs> could you think of a better quote to define what Kyle Hendricks is compared to how most of the world perceives him for most of his career than that? No. And it's so, you know, spoiler, we, we this, this game did take place in the past, so not too many spoilers, but uh, yeah, he, not only did he go seven and a third, but also just premium Kyle Hendricks. He still got pulled too early. He still, he had only thrown 88 pitches. I think when he got, when he got yanked, he gave up his second hit of the day. And then Madden was like, that's enough, which is also, it's, that's, it's very much how, yeah. Hendricks has been underrated, continues to be underrated by everybody always. But uh, yeah, he still could have gone longer even than seven and a third. Yeah, and so this is just a personal theory upon rewatching the game and and in hearing that quote that Adam referenced earlier too, uh, that there's probably a reason outside of the fact that this is how Hendricks was perceived in general that Smoltz said that on the air, and we know that the national broadcast guys when they do their preparation they talk extensively to both managers, and I have to believe that Madden probably in his pregame meeting, especially based on how he handled Hendricks in. Game seven of the World Series probably told Joe, Joe Buck and John Smoltz that, yeah, if I get five good innings, uh, I am turning my bullpen after that and we're going to ride it out the rest of the way. Because that's, that's how Joe handled him for most of that year, too, is that he would try to lift him too early as opposed to letting him go or having faith in him to go a bit longer than. Right than yeah. most of us would have expected. Yeah, and I and I had forgotten until they mentioned it that, that, he's, that Hendricks started the year as the number five starter in 2016. Right. Which is incredible, and, considering the role that he ended up playing. And, I mean, the, they absolutely do not win the World Series without him. And, and you remember at the end of 2015, Hendricks was one of, like, the and the rest at the end of the rotation, where when they were trying to set up for yeah. the Mets, it was like, okay, we got to get a great game from Lester, great game from Arietta, and then you got two games where you just got to kind of hope. And Hendricks was part of that, where mm-hmm. you just kind of got to throw him out there and hope you get kind of the fluke good game. That, yeah, it, it wasn't until... <clears throat> Like until a substantial portion of 2016 had already passed and he had shown that this guy is going to be leading the league in ERA 
where the thought occurred to any of us that, okay, like this, he is the real deal. What we're seeing now is who Kyle Hendricks is. Yeah. And uh, as you say, he won the friggin' ERA title that year. I saw again, like, like Adam, I hadn't seen in detail all the, the broadcast of this game in the same way, but that it was uh, Kershaw and Hendricks. Hendricks had a, uh, a 2.13 ERA Kershaw, it said 1.69, so was it just that he didn't qualify, he didn't have the qualifying innings, right? Yeah, he had a back issue in June right. and July of that year where he missed most of those two months. So, yeah, he did not qualify, but uh, he was, as his stats that you just referenced show, he was utterly dominant when he was yeah. on the mound. Oh. Yeah, they, they mentioned during the game, uh, what, sorry, Kevin, uh, that, that I mean, that was a shortened regular season for Kershaw, but that he had only given up two-plus runs two times in the entire regular season, which is insane. Yeah. God. And he shut the Cubs down in game two that we all watched together uh, yep. in that, that series. That was depressing. Yeah, <laughs> it was. That, yeah, we watched that at Adam's apartment together. Right. And... It, it was the come down off yeah. the Miguel Montero grand slam in game one that just drove everybody nuts. And mm-hmm. thinking, okay, here we go. And then here comes Kershaw. And I believe he was on short rest in game two. And he just shoved it up their asses for seven innings. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he had in the previous series, he had started game four on short rest and then closed game five against the Nationals. So he was right. not running on, on on full at that point. Right. And we were thinking that, OK, this might be an extra extra break and you got to take advantage of this, especially heading to Dodger Stadium. And, uh, and of course, it turns out Clayton Kershaw, still one of the very best pitchers in baseball history and showed it that night. And thank God. Although I will say that that in game two, if you if you recall, Contreras drilled a ball to center field that probably would have gone out on most nights, but ended up getting knocked down by the wind. So they right. did almost get to him, and that that could have been the difference in a one nothing loss. But yeah, yeah, and uh, and and you remember, of course, like that that one nothing loss, which was then followed by the Rich Hill six nothing shellacking they took in game three. Mm-hmm. And uh, Adam, do you want to tell the story about how I felt going into game four and we were on our way to visit, watch it together? Oh, I, I remember it very well. I was, I was more optimistic than you. You were not feeling very good. <laughs> I remember I picked you up to your apartment. Uh, this is when we all uh, lived in New York at the same time. I picked Ken up from his apartment in Astoria. We were driving over to Kevin's. I was wearing my Schwarber jersey in, a, in an attempt to uh, not even having any idea that a week later he would be playing in the World Series, just as <laughs> some sort of like... Uh, hopeful uh, gesture and uh Arias was starting that game game four and I, I I don't even remember how the conversation went but I do remember the quote from Ken uh I have every belief that Arias is going to shove it up our asses mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. gonna be ga- this is gonna be bad let's get in the car <laughs> let's go <laughs> go unenjoy this Hashtag analysis. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible that the Cubs got shut out twice in the NLCS and twice in the World Series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a that, team that good being shut out. Yeah. Uh, that's, and part of that to me was uh, you know, the quality of the pitching that they were facing. Um, obviously, it, there's no shame in being shut out by Kershaw or Corey Kluber ever. Uh, there mm-hmm. probably should be some shame in getting shut out by Josh Tomlin. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, uh, man, uh, I spent so much money to be at that game. <laughs> that was a bummer. Game three of the World Series, yeah. Uh, which also a Hendricks start. Yeah, and Hend- Hendricks lost. The two games he lost were one nothing. Yep. Oh, yeah. He had, a, he had an ERA of one in the World Series. 
that year in in the, in the two games. And as you t- talk about, no sh- no shame in getting shut down by uh, Kershaw and uh, and Kluber, two guys that Hendricks outdueled too in game game seven, game seven, the arguably two most important games in Cubs history yeah. that uh, that he started and uh, yeah and, and outdueled him. And again, back to go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say. To that point, you can probably make a decent argument that Hendricks could have also been added to the at least LCS MVP roster with Lester and Javi Baez at the end, given he gave up one run total in his yeah. pitching performances then. Yeah, no, he, he was he was great. And again, this is it's like this game, the, the game we watched game six, it's sort of it's the signature game of his career for uh, for sure. Um, but it really is just like it's astounding how good he always is and is overlooked. He has a three point one four career career ERA that I looked up um, and that puts him fifth. Among active pitchers, he's point one behind Madison Bumgarner, and then he's behind Kershaw, Degrom, and Sale. That's it. He's mm-hmm. he's he's been, he's given up less less runs per nine than Kluber, Strasburg, Scherzer, Cole, any literally everyone else. And uh, it, fifth in, in ERA is just a uh, yeah. Just I mean, I, I'm I'm fast forwarding here a little bit because I do want to talk about a lot of other components of the game. But I love the moment so much when when Madden walks out to take him out. And it's clear that he's coming out of the game and Javi pulls the back of his Jersey. Yeah. Like he's pulling up Hendricks and like mm-hmm. pumping him up, which Hendricks mm-hmm. is not that sort of guy. And then <laughs> as he walks over, even the, I mean, I, I have to imagine Wrigley applauding for him was about as loud as it's ever been. And it takes until like the last step before the dugout where he gives this like tiny acknowledgement of it, like with the energy of somebody who's too afraid to get the attention of a waiter at a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really half hearted when you're asking for the check, but you know, they can't see you. (laughs) (laughs) Every Hendrix walk off the mound, I feel like should be accompanied by audio of the old droopy dog cartoon from Woody Woodpecker back in the day. The, the the catchphrase, you know what? I'm happy. <laughs> he uh, also I noticed that he uh, didn't just him walking off the mound there. Pretty rare, and you know you've had a very good game when they play your intro music as you leave too. Yeah, yeah, a little you know, sweet emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't see you don't see them uh, you don't see the anybody bring back the intro music as you're leaving too often. You know, right. unless you really clearly clearly dominated um something about this game in particular the way that it went about too it illustrates something that you don't hear a lot of especially in modern baseball which i realize is like a john smoltz lead-in kind of segue uh but it's true you don't really hear about how you a a pitcher can dominate a game without striking out a bunch of guys but this game is like the perfect example of that where i think he struck out six total in 7.1, which is a good number, but certainly not the mm-hmm. time where you think, oh, he was in total command. But there was not a moment in this game outside of maybe the first pitch that Andrew Tolles lined for a single where you thought, oh, he he could lose this or he, he might be going downhill. Like, it, it, this was a game of just constant pop-ups to the first baseman in foul territory and little ground outs to perfectly positioned fielders. And it was a clinic of how you shut down an offense while still giving up contact for the entire game. Yeah. I mean, and that just, I mean, he's blowing guys away with a 90 mile an hour fastball because he's got them so off balance. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, 
I want to say a grand doll at that in particular, mm-hmm. where you just watched him gradually climb the ladder more and more, and then actually throw like uh, a fastball up in his eyes, which you almost never see from Hendricks. And Grandall he got swung Peterson. He got Jock Peterson out on, Peterson. on okay, like, that's, a fastball. Yeah. That's yeah. But yeah, there was a low ball to, to Grandall that he got him on a three-two pitch um, with like an eighty-nine mile an hour fastball that he was super late on, and that's that's what was so amazing about it. And what I'd forgotten about it is he got himself into some counts that weren't really favorable like he there were a number of times that he got to like a 3-1 count and then battled back and to your point I, I forget which one of you said it but in terms of like Madden's game planning with Hendricks you had the feeling that if he let literally anybody on base Madden might go to somebody else because there's one point where they show Travis Wood warming up and I think it's like while they show that that um, Hendricks gets himself out of another like 3-1 count and uh I mean, he just was utterly in control the entire game. And I, my feeling watching it, just because of what we've all experienced, like I never fully felt comfortable. But watching it again, I'm like, there was no way the Cubs were losing this game. Yeah, in, in retrospect, it's, it's a coronation game where you, almost from the beginning you realize this is a special thing that's going to happen. And you know the Cubs go up by two runs in the first. And from then on, it, it's pretty much just over at that point. But as to what you just said, in the moments, like... I can't ever recall a game where a pitcher was in so much total command and the Cubs were in control from beginning to end where I felt worse for the entire <laughs> game. That there was not a moment where I felt comfortable up until the final double play. Yeah, and this is, I can't imagine a game with less scary drama, really. As you, like, as you say, it's the, the first pitch of the game, Andrew Tolles hammers the ball and you're like, oh shit, you know, like he really squared it up and immediately. And then pitch two, there's two outs. Yes. So it's like that we had, we had all the stress of like a pitch and then no one until Javi makes a, a sort of a goofy error where it's like, he tried to be too fundamental. Mm-hmm. It's like he had to swag it up a bit, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, and then Hendricks with the best right-handed pickoff move since Armando Reynoso, uh, is just picks the guy, uh, picks him off first. Reddick, I think it was. Josh yeah, yep. yeah. Um, yeah. Soon to be, uh, soon to be cheating Astro. Yeah. Cheating Astro. Yes. I'm sorry. I, I stepped over your line, Adam. That's okay. Uh, but I, I, I got excited because it, it picking runners off is a real underrated part of the Kyle Hendricks game. And it's kind of almost an essential given how much contact that he usually does give up. But if, if you're able to, allow base runners, if you're able to erase a few of them, it does make a big difference. Didn't he pick totally. somebody off in Game 7 of the World Series? Yes. I want to say second inning, third? Game Game 3, too. No, gee, yeah, that, that's right, yeah. Game 3, in Game 3, uh, th- they needed a replay on it, uh, and when and when uh, when the ruling came through that he had, he had picked, uh, I want to say Lindor, although I might be wrong, um, off first he like that's the second loudest I ever heard Wrigley with the loudest being Justin Grimm's double play later in that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, picking off three, three runners in two playoff series. That's, and as a right-hander too, it's uh it's incredible. But if you have Hendricks's profile, yeah, that's what uh, pick guys off, steal those outs when you can get your ground balls and never walk anybody. And he's, mm-hmm. he's really, you know, that's, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. One thing that really impressed me watching the uh the Cubs first inning at, at the plate was their like opposite field approach with Kershaw. Because if yeah. you look at those first four hitters, you've got I mean, Fowler's double was like a it's kind of a lucky 
double. Like he didn't really square it up. But you've got Fowler going the opposite way for a double. Then you've got uh, KB. KB's approach is beautiful on that on that single to right field. Uh, Rizzo goes the opposite way, and I mean he hit a Toll should have made the play, but he hit it hard. And then you have Zobris too. I forgot he was hitting cleanup at that time, mm-hmm. um, going to right right center with that um, the sack fly, and it just their approach against Kershaw was like something that they should write a book about. Yeah. And I think part of that is probably some of the adjustment that they had to make after getting shut down by him in game two, where they were probably, I mean, you mentioned the one uh, swing that you remember was the long fly ball that almost left for a home run off of Contreras' bat, which indicates that they were probably trying to attack him with power in game two mm-hmm. and saw that that didn't work at all. And so, it, yeah, it, it's clear from the very first inning that if he's going to stay on the outside corner, that they're going to be fine with that and, and go the other way with them. And, and that Zobrist at bat in particular, I, I wrote down that he got down 0-2 right away, but still managed to put that kind of good opposite field swing on on the curveball, which almost hit the dirt. I think. In that yeah, he, well, that's the th- uh, that that was the most notable thing to me is the ball is almost on the dirt, and he needed a fly ball, and he got it. Just yeah. the man, the pleasure of watching the situational hitting here, and it really shows you. I think what uh, as as I mean, this is very into. Cubs minutia, but something that's been missing for the Cubs the last couple of years is, you know, is that kind of thing is getting the ball in the air with someone on third base, tagging up from second to third every chance you get. Like the mm-hmm. base running and the situational hitting we saw in that first inning uh, was was beautiful. And and like, I, I, yeah. yeah. No, I was going to say, and they uh, just to piggyback on that, they uh, Smoltz made the point that part of the reason for the Tolls error may have been how hard KB was running into second that he kind of caught him. Um, like saw how far Brian had gotten and took his eye off the ball for a second because he was getting ready to, you know, try to throw it back to first to double him off. But I mean, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff contributes to winning a game. That's all the, like doing all the small stuff, right? Do yeah. simple better. Yes. Yeah. Funny how that worked. Uh, and it also helps to, you know, have pretty much the perfect team for a year like they did in 2016, where you just have guys who are good at everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what and uh, God, just watching what what a truly good and comfortable leadoff hitter can do. I really miss, miss Dexter Fowler watching yeah. watching yeah. the game where he the double to right field and in the second inning he rips rips the shot to left. Two innings, two two runs created for Dexter Fowler. Right. It's like, it's, uh, completely yeah. different approaches to the at bat too. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so yeah. part of. Uh, why their approach works so well to me is as we were watching the game play out, uh, and they made mention of this on the broadcast, is that around like the fifth or sixth inning, I think uh, Smoltz mentioned that the Cubs only had like five swings and misses against Kershaw, which, you know, usually doesn't happen unless you've got a trash can nearby. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, I, I think the, but the difference between, you know, the, the Astros and the, the blatant cheating that helped them beat Kershaw in that world series versus what the Cubs did is partly because Kershaw's curveball wasn't working at all in this game. And, and again, they made mention of it, but you could see it uh, even the couple times you tried it, even if you had the sound down, you could see it didn't have that kind of curveball from hell shape, that big loop that he can make either float into the strike zone or dive down to the dirt seemingly at will. Like this one, whenever he tried it was both a much smaller loop of a curve, a much smaller break and also one that seemed to dive well far uh, low and away out of the zone against guys. And so I think the players were able, at, as hitters, to recognize that and say, okay, we can kind of just 
eliminate the curveball entirely and just look at this as, okay, he's coming at us fastball slider, and we'll just hit that where, wherever it's pitched because we kind of know what speed we're going to get. Yeah, he had to really live with that 95-96 fastball, which seeing Kershaw last couple of years, it's, you know, seeing that old when he really had the velocity Kershaw was, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a beast. And yeah. One thing that I thought was kind of cool. I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but there were so many shots of Ross in the dugout where he like already looked like the manager. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he had that kind of look about him where he's like leaning over the railing and just like, it was kind of cool to watch and and know like, you know, what was going to happen four years down the line. Yeah, what hopefully happens. Yeah, that's, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's Let's say maybe five years down the line. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. Before, oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Kevin. Oh, no. It's just, uh, and they made Kershaw throw 30 pitches in the first inning, too, which is yeah. very important. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And uh, and vital uh, when you think about it. And it's, it's weird how the game kind of plays out, too, where uh, they wear him down with that long first inning and. Uh, it kind of goes along, and then when it gets to about the seventh inning, right when they lift Kershaw for Jansen, and the Cubs are up five nothing, it's almost like they're trying to speed it up to to just to get to the end. Like even even at bat, and it's against you know prime Kenley Jansen, so you don't have much of a chance even at your best. But it's almost like when they're at bat, they're thinking, let's just get this thing to the ninth right now. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get this done. Yeah. Totally. And I, I also thought it was a weird, uh, you mentioning Jansen coming in in the sixth, I think it was. Is that yeah, right? Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like, how often does a starting pitcher get to face the best starter in the game and possibly the best closer in the game, like, as a hitter? It, like, watching Hendri- Hendricks had to face as a hitter Clayton Kershaw and Kenley Jansen. Also took some good swings. He made Kershaw throw him seven pitches in that first mm-hmm. at bat, too, yeah, just to, yeah. to Hendricks alone. And in, and in the at-bat against Jansen at the end, because uh, Smoltz made a comment of, like, oh, he probably shouldn't even, like, swing the bat here. You don't want to take yourself out of your rhythm. And then he's, he had some pretty good hacks against him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, old, the old battery mates of uh, Kershaw and Jansen <laughs> from, yeah. from way back yeah, when. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, when he was a pitcher. Now, did you I, – I actually didn't know this, and this is a fairly obscure Cubs thing. I know we're, we're kind of doing a crossover pod, but I didn't realize there was a time that Wilson Contreras was uh, unprotected in the Cubs system. When would that have been? Gosh, yeah. Did you know uh, that? Probably would have been after he was in the minor leagues for, is it three years where you have to add someone to the 40-man? Hmm. I think it's longer than that. It might be like five, but um... – I didn't realize that there was ever a, a – chance that somebody could have just nabbed him for nothing yeah i think it was right before because then he won the the batting title in double a i think the mm-hmm. so i think the year leading into that uh he could have been had and then mm-hmm. and then, yeah and then he hit like 330 plus i think in uh in double a and then the cubs protected him but yeah they could they, someone could have jumped on him but he yeah. just bur- he, yeah he late bloomer i i wonder and this is just speculation on my part but i wonder if whenever they had him unprotected where other teams could have claimed him, how long he would have been catching at that point since he only picked it up after a couple of years in the system, right? Yeah, maybe not that long. Maybe people didn't know what he was going to be or what to do with him exactly. Right, because if you pick him up, I think then you probably have to do something to protect him, either add him to your 40-man or something like that. And if somebody had just started catching, you're probably not going to use a roster spot uh, on somebody like that because there are just so many variables in play at that point. Right, right. 
but yeah, it is, it is a definite what if to think about it's like, Oh God, like, uh, you know, it, having Miguel Montero being your starting catcher for a team trying to make the world series, not the worst thing in the world, but yeah, Wilson no. definitely was the step up at that point. Yeah. God, yeah, we're absolutely. just what a, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't tend to be a fan of, uh, of three catcher rosters, but this is a really good one. Yeah. It, uh, let me uh, ask you about just kind of a random moment in the game uh, where I had written down in the notes I was keeping uh, in the top of the eighth after the first out of the inning when Adrian Gonzalez flies out to center field uh, uh, for the first out of the inning and there are five outs to go. And I've written in capital letters, even today, don't think about 2003. With the five outs? With the five outs, yeah. Can was I, that can, all in the moment on your mind? Do you remember can I tell you? Can I tell you a very specific story about that exact moment? Um, I do you do you prefer to uh, to not curse on on your podcast? No, but curse away. This is a comics podcast. Okay. Curse. So <laughs> I my 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 Mets friend Adam, who who you guys have met and who I allude to often, and who is still, by the way, playing Stratomatic very often. Um, he's a <laughs> he's he's using dice to take the place of baseball. Um, <laughs> he texted me after that first out, five more outs. And I, he knows, like, he knows that that's not something that you do. And I think he, in his mind, he was like, you know, clearly the Cubs have the game in hand. I'm going to, like, joke around with him. And I texted back, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and, yeah. he, he, and he realized I was not having it. And he, I think he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it absolutely occurred to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, it did not, to me, in the moment, weirdly. Um, I Yeah, I, I was... My 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 wife's birthday was the next day, so her birthday hangout was the night of Game Six, which I did leave early uh, to go to, to go uh, back to the apartment. So, uh, but right at that time, everyone was getting back from like uh, basically everyone was out at a bar, uh, a cocktail bar in Astoria for my wife's birthday, and they all came back to the apartment, and it was just me, sort of like pacing wildly uh, at that time, but it was, it was right at that time. So maybe everyone coming back <laughs> helped distract me from, okay, this is the historically dangerous moment. And uh, which then, I mean, it was about that many outs when trouble happened in game seven too. So it's uh yeah. Yeah. Eighth innings suck. Is, uh, eighth innings saying. do suck. <laughs> well, and of course you have that foul ball in the ninth inning that goes like in the vicinity of the Bartman seat. And of course they make the reference to like, Oh, I wonder where that landed, which, you yeah. know, that was always going to be a thing until it wasn't a thing. Right. And, and for Fox, honestly, that's subtlety. The fact that they just talked about it as opposed to showing it. I oh, thought yeah. they called a pretty good game, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have no complaints about either of them. Smoltz didn't do the, uh, too much of the John Smoltz complaining about modern players thing back then. Yeah. I feel like he wasn't fully, he wasn't living that brand uh, quite, quite fully yet. Uh, yeah. you know, he, I, I, although at one point Buck asked him about uh, exit velocity, pitcher like exit velocity allowed by pitchers, and how Hendricks was, uh, you know, was particularly good at at limiting that. And he said, "Did you worry a lot about exit velocity when you were a pitcher?" And Smoltz said, "He, he said, you know, that's. I think I, I felt like that was the only thing that you could control. You can't strike everybody out, but you can control how hard they hit it." And Smoltz had it off the top of his head. He said that Hendricks was uh, number two that year in exit velocity allowed. Hmm. Yeah, that's. Well, uh, I mean, that's yeah. set up. Question practically is just setting him up. Like, hey, can you be a cranky old man for a minute? And he yeah, did. Yeah, exactly. 
So that was, yeah, that was interesting to see. Uh, just in terms of broadcast notes in the game, uh, they, the fucking goat stuff, they assigned, Je- they had Jeff Garland do that. And I was like, this is fine because I can skip this whole segment now. Uh, this is, this is uh, I could just bail. That's a good pick. If Jeff Garland's in the booth, I mean, God bless him. He seems to be a nice guy. I love him on Curb Your Enthusiasm. If he's in the Cubs booth, I'm muting it. Uh, I, I cannot stand it. And so, and I can't, I don't ever want to hear anyone talk about the fucking goat. So <laughs> matching them Wait, up where was, was that? Where, where did that happen in the game? It was kind of later on. I don't know exactly, but let me see if I, in my notes, I think it was in the eighth. I'm sorry. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I just watched it on YouTube. Um, so yeah, it was in the, uh, in the eighth inning. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I think YouTube probably does the full broadcast. The Blu-rays, for some reason, they edit certain parts out of it, so you can sometimes see the cuts in it. Okay. Yeah, I kind of wish they didn't do that because I feel like there were a lot of like crowd shots of people waiting outside the stadium that they didn't see. And honestly, I'm just fantasizing about the existence of crowds at this point. So I kind of would have <laughs> yeah. liked it. Crowds, Someday. people near each other. Yeah. <laughs> It's, uh, can, I, uh, can I suggest perhaps a, a rule for future baseball broadcasts that if they ever have to bring Jeff Garland into a Cubs broadcast booth again, that it's a requirement that Susie Essman come along with him? <laughs> yes. It should be a package deal, 100%. Shut the fuck up, Jeff! <laughs> yeah. it should be and, and the fcc regulations go out the window for one half inning that's how you spice up the celebrity bottom of the seventh when you have someone come in do the seventh inning stretch and then hang out that that's how you uh you make it bearable <laughs> do we know who did the seventh do we know who did the seventh inning stretch at this game not bernie mac yeah no <laughs> Yeah. Uh, not off the top of my head, no. I'd have to look that up, honestly. I did not. Probably, yeah. like, uh, would it have been, like, Eddie Vedder or John Cusack or, or one of those? Vedder was in the booth with Theo. They showed right. Death, like, he was in the skybox. So, perhaps. Well, he could have walked over. Yeah, yeah. He was on location. So, that, that could have been. But uh, I, I remember all the World Series guys. It was Bill Murray. Um, and it was Eddie Vedder was game five. So, I guess maybe I don't remember who game four was. But uh, it might have been Garland in game four. Game game four is pretty forgettable. I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah, not not worth honestly the mental energy of even thinking about game four. Um, yeah. So let me, I guess, wrap up our reminiscence of this by asking: Do you have any memories that stand out from the aftermath of this game, like in the immediate, like how you celebrated or who you did it with? Kevin, I do. Uh, sure. Yeah. I. Uh, I immediately, I had, I immediately opened my laptop. I bought plane tickets, uh, to go home. I, uh, was blasting, uh, Kanye West and Chris Martin's homecoming. Uh, I, as I lined up a bunch of shots that I did, uh, I believe it was tequila. It's silver tequila. It was, uh, it was 1800. I did, I did uh, the 18, 1800 brand tequila, uh, and did shots with. Because they didn't have 1908 brand. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you. There you go. Uh, they should have. Ah, for the, I mean, I'd, I'd buy it. Take my money. Tequila and Cubs, please. Uh, but my friend Andy Bond, who is such who I he lives out here in New York, and he's also a massive Cubs fan. We went to college together, and it's not a hundred percent because of this, but he just had he had a baby boy last year, and he named him Theo. So he's a he's a very strong Cubs fan. Myself and Andy Bond uh, and my wife did did shots uh, to celebrate. 
and uh, yeah, I, I just distinctly remember that blasting music and uh, and you know buying plane tickets because I went went home like the next day. I think I guess I flew home to be in Chicago for the duration of the World Series. That's beautiful, Adam. Um, well, before I tell my story, there's one final note about the game that I'm sure you guys both picked up on, but it's like one of those cool things that it, like listening to it in retrospect, it just makes you smile that at one point they're talking to, I think Verducci about the fact that Schwarber, uh, has been cleared to, to play and might be an option in the world series. And Smoltz says, well, that would be a lot to ask of a young player to just throw him into the world series like that. And it just made me smile. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect foreshadowing. Yeah. Um, so this game I was watching, I actually had a show that night. So um, I've, I probably should have canceled the show, but I did the show. And by the time I got in the car, the first inning was just getting underway or like the bottom of the first was just starting and they had just scored the first run. So I listened to that whole uh, bottom of the first in the car, got home, went to the uh, Chicago. There's actually a Chicago bar in my neighborhood um, that I know you've been to, Kevin. I don't know if you've been, Ken, but um, it's the same place that I watched game seven of the World Series. And went there, watched the game. Um, as soon as they started like cutting to old people getting emotional, I started getting emotional. <laughs> yeah. And then um, when when they finally won, something about seeing the graphic on the screen that said Cubs advanced to World Series really got me. Like that that was the moment where I just um, it like hit me that it was actually a, a reality. And then similar to Kevin, I I went home and. Within an hour after the last pitch, I had booked flights back to Chicago. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, uh, I hugged my roommates immediately after commanding him to hug me. Hug me. Uh, and <laughs> and uh, I, I don't remember, like, I don't have in-the-moment memories between uh, just kind of watching the on-field celebration and, I guess, kind of disbelieving it as it was happening a little bit, like, this is actually, this is a real thing now that is happening. Uh, but at some point, I think might have been when they started the postgame show is when I decided I can't wait any longer. And I called my dad up on the phone uh, and we just kind of watched them hand over the National League uh, pennant trophy and the MVP trophy to Lester and Baez and just kind of watched the postgame ceremony together uh, and, with my dad, I guess the closest we could get to doing it from, you know, a couple 1500 miles away or whatever. Uh, but just kind of realizing that this was kind of something that I got to share that I didn't think was ever really going to happen, uh, up until that point that, uh, that this was like a a really good, well-timed celebration on their part that, uh, uh, I'm having trouble coming up with words to kind of uh, as you can tell. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I think as Cubs fans, we, I, I, there was part of me that honestly, I think just felt like it wasn't allowed that they would get to the world series. Like it it felt, it's hard. It's hard to articulate how impossible that felt Mm -hmm. because you, you know, the league rules allow for any of the 30 teams to make it to the world (laughs) series. Technically speaking, that is, you know, there's a process and they can do that, but it did not feel, it felt fake to even sort of think of that in a way. 
And so, yeah, I, I think there's there's just a level of surreality to it where it's like we we get to do this. And, yeah. you know, it's it's weird because it's it's not like that with every sport because we're Chicago fans. It's like we had the Bulls of the 90s, which for a long time I thought was just God's like sort of apology for the Cubs. <laughs> it was like you get you get this, though. It's like, well, that's fun. Um, but it 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 just it felt it, it for whatever reason, baseball and the Cubs were very different. And uh, so, yeah, it was. It, it's it's hard to explain how crazy it felt. It's, I mean, and just on Earth right now, it's like having a win like seems impossible. Like yeah. it seems like any kind of win is impossible. So this was a time when it felt like a real life win and very unexpected. Yeah, it was something that we could bank forever, and uh, apparently we have to. So <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's banked up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, any other memories of this before we uh, transition to book club? <laughs> uh, no, just uh, the only thing I said, like, I love Joe Madden. I will love him forever. But uh, Chapman going one and two thirds in this after they mentioned that Chapman pitched in a blowout win the night, the day before too. It's just like, God damn it. The <laughs> the mishandling of Chapman was, it would it didn't start at the end of the World Series. It was the whole time. Um yeah. He was determined not to get beat with anyone other than who he viewed as his absolute best. Yeah, and I mean, I get it, but um, yeah, but that's that's the only other main note I had, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, so one of the things that we're doing here at uh, Three Strikes You're Out every week now, as long as we've got quarantine, is trying to help anybody listening through it a little bit by recommending baseball books. And uh, I asked either of you uh, have one you'd like to throw out there for our listening audience. Sure, I do. Um, I I'm a big fan of everything that Roger Angel writes, um, and the I believe the first book of his I ever read, my grandfather gave it to me, and it was called Extra Innings. I think I I, I need to double check that. I think, but yeah, uh, I think yeah, and it was basically just I think it was five seasons in the late '70s up to about '80, and it's just really I, I read it when I was. God, maybe like 18, 19. And it was the way that guy who, by the way, God bless him, still alive, triple digits. I think Mm -hmm. Um, the way he writes about baseball is just very, he's really thoughtful and you can tell he loves the sport and uh, he, he loves all the teams. He loves, he has teams he prefers, but it's, it's really interesting to see him write about uh, to just pick like seasons you don't think about late seventies up to 80. You don't think about those seasons a lot and to read about it written in like a daily way, kind of, I mean, I I remember him talking about a strapping young prospect who seemed can't miss named Clint hurdle. It's just like, (laughs) what the fuck happened there? Uh, But, but, uh, talk about, talk about racist above replacement. (laughs) Yeah. Racist above replacement. That is a mantra. Wonderful. Um, but yeah, Roger Angel, anything, uh, Mm -hmm. but extra, extra innings, I would say. Real good call. Yeah, Angel is really good at being smart and lyrical, but without coming across as too smart and lyrical. Like it, it's it's still sports writing at the heart of it. It's it's authentic. It feels authentic. It's not. Yeah, it's not showy. It's just this is how the man talks. You know. Yeah. 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 Adam, do you have a rec? I do. Uh, I have a couple. The first one is uh, a book by John Grisham, actually, called Calico Joe. 
um, that my mom recommended to me, and it actually is about the Cubs. And I think the way they do it is it's a fictitious character, but placed within a real Cubs team. I believe it's the 69 team. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't, I, I, I might be spoiling some of it, but I feel like this happens fairly, fairly, fairly early on that, um, this player, Joe Castle is his name, gets called up to the Cubs and he is this like phenomenal player, but it's actually written from the point of view of the son of a pitcher who, uh, another fictitious guy who pitched for the Mets at that time and who, uh, ends up beating Joe Castle and like ending his career. So mm-hmm. it's this story of like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And then also how this guy's like relationship with his father is affected by um, his dad, essentially like hitting his son's favorite player. Hmm. Jeez. So it's really, it's really well done. And it's, I wouldn't have known John Grisham would have written a baseball book. Yeah. I think Grisham's a Cardinal fan too, which makes that extra weird. Well, maybe that's why he wrote a book about a Cubs player getting hit in the head. (laughs) It's his, his ultimate dream come true. Yeah. (laughs) Well, um, so there's, <laughs> yeah. that, that one is great. And then there's a, a book called Snows in August, or Snow in August, I'm sorry, by uh, Pete Hamill. It looks like it is. Uh, I'm not familiar with him, but it's about the, uh, the mid-40s Dodgers uh, right, before the, uh, right before Jackie Robinson joins the team. And <laughs> I think this is – my memory of it is that it's about a rabbi and, like, a young boy who are both big Dodgers fans – and the boy like works for the rabbi as I, I think they call it a um, a Sabbath goy. Like he's the kid who like turns the lights on for the rabbi on oh, Saturdays yeah. when he's like not allowed to do anything. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But it's a really wonderful book. Hmm. Yeah, is it nice. uh, fiction or nonfiction? Uh, it's it's fiction, but hmm. like juxtaposed with the you know nonfiction of the Dodgers at that time. Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds really cool. I like that a lot. And it, it sounds yeah. like a real good baseball book and a real good Brooklyn book, too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, nice. Uh, the one that I'm going to uh, recommend this week is one called The Bullpen Gospels by Dirk Hayhurst. I don't know if either of you have ever come across that. I read that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. it is. might be like top five baseball books I've ever read. And I've read a shit ton of baseball books. <laughs> you certainly have, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just top five baseball books then. Yeah. 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 Um, And it's a season long diary of Hayhurst was kind of like almost a career long minor leaguer. He got called up at the end of his career for a short stint with the Padres and then another one with the Blue Jays. But it's about kind of like his stint in high class A and double A right at a time where he's definitely realized he is not a prospect and is not on a big league team's radar and is kind of just there to be filler for the rest of the real prospects to play against. And it's like a season long meditation about him trying to solve the problem that honestly, that we as comics confront every day of why am I still doing this? Like if the, if the career goal is clearly not going to be what I set out for it to be, what is the point of continuing on with this? What does baseball mean to me if, you know, grabbing that big league career and becoming a great big leaguer is clearly not going to happen. And it's about him kind of struggling with that internally. And then it's also just a mix of kind of great stories throughout the year of like dealing with hecklers uh, while you're sitting in the bullpen, uh, minor league bus trips. He lives with his grandmother in the off season and she's Mm -hmm. like owns all the guns and is completely batshit insane. (laughs) It, it is immensely entertaining incredibly well written not not just ball player well written but well written for anybody yeah he's a good writer 
Yeah. And at the end of the book, like I was almost in tears at certain parts of it. So there's one part in particular I looked at today where he was talking about just a random interaction in the bullpen with fans where Omen brought up her three-year-old kid and he was, you know, just being a, a good guy, uh, you know, interacting with the kid. And then the woman mentions that her kid has inoperable liver cancer. And so he and the rest of the bullpen suddenly like almost they, they all become Rizzo for the next couple innings where they take the kid into the bullpen and just show him like the best possible time at, at a baseball game. They, they like have him raid their, their stash of gum. And it, it's <laughs> really just immensely moving and also funny as hell and thoughtful. And yeah, it's just great. Love it. He's a good, good book, Rex. Yeah. Good stuff guys. Uh, so anything else you want to plug? Well, we still are all together here. You know, me, I'm Kevin McCaffrey. <laughs> follow me at Kevin McCaff anywhere. Yeah. Uh, don't go outside. Just follow us instead. How about that? Yeah. Exactly. At Ken Schultz underscore. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, at Adam Mamawala. Mamawala is spelled M-A-M-A-W-A-L-A. I'm posting a lot of videos. I'm going. To, I'm going into the archives here. You are. If you want to. If you want to. If you want to laugh and. Uh, I made a parody of Love Actually. That was fun. It's called awesome. Love Actually. Yep. <laughs> He's a got a new haircut now. Everyone's day. talking about it. <laughs> Everyone's talking about my. I got my dad gave me a haircut. Uh, I'm gonna be. <laughs> I did an interview with him last night on Instagram Live because that's what we're doing these days. We're doing mm-hmm. interviews with our dads during quarantine. Just as I, <laughs> yeah. just as I, just what I thought would be happening a month ago at this time. Yeah. Yeah, we're doing whatever we can to get us through at this point in time. And uh, gentlemen, you guys got me through the past hour, so thank you very much. Absolutely. Hey, could, yeah, one of you uh, take a one of you got to take a picture of us. Uh, my phone's charging, but you got to take a picture of this so I can. I got uh, it. I can show everybody how how good my haircut looks. You got it. Yeah. All right. Got to be careful. Here we no, go. Nobody, nobody talks shit about my porn tabs that are up. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I go to oh, I go to yeah. Delta.com for all my porn. Uh, <laughs> what are you but you're booking flights for ten dollars <laughs> yeah really this is how i win so, um, so you like really inefficient and surly porn kevin <laughs> yes that's you know me uh <laughs> yeah uh thanks guys thank you 